My name is Frank Lucas. I am one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm extremely excited to share with you tonight. Uh, Pastor Greg asked if I would uh, share the word this evening, and I said, absolutely. Uh, with a lot of enthusiasm, actually, I responded. And then I got home and I started thinking about it, and I became terrified, uh, because you all know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, there's no surprise, right? Like, we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and so I've... Uh, I've been reflecting over the last couple of weeks uh, about what I was going to share this evening, and uh, day over day, God just started placing some things on my heart. Uh, week over week, I saw it build as we progressed through Advent, and uh, I'm excited to share that with you this evening. But that being said, about a week ago, I had a restless night. And when I say restless night, I mean I fell asleep for about an hour, I woke up, and I just could not fall back asleep. Anyone ever have one of those nights? All right, a few of you. Uh, it's the kind of night where you toss and you turn, and you try to get comfortable. You kick your foot out from underneath the blankets in hopes that that will actually do something, but it doesn't. Uh, you, you turn, and you just do all these sorts of things, but your mind just won't stop racing, right? You're thinking about tomorrow, you're thinking about the projects that are lingering, the emails that need to be sent. You're thinking about your shopping that still needs to be done, and then the wrapping that follows that. Uh, you're just thinking about all these sorts of things. And so this was the type of night that I was having. And uh, after lying in bed for a couple of hours awake, frustrated that I couldn't fall back asleep, I decided to do uh, what I typically do in this sort of instance. I was going to get up, head out into our living room, which I did, sit on the couch, and I decided this night that I was actually going to watch a movie. Now, typically what I would do is I would throw on something extremely boring in hopes that it would lull me to sleep. However, all hope was lost, I think, at this point. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to start checking some boxes off of my Christmas watch list. Yes, I have one of those. And I started going on through Amazon Prime and looking for what I was going to watch. And I landed on the one long-anticipated film, Christmas Vacation. It's one of my favorites. Every single, I watch it every year, and, and the kids were asleep, Kate was asleep in bed, and I said, you know what, I am going to put this movie on. And, and so I put it on with anticipation, uh, with this idea that I was actually going to watch the whole thing. I didn't put it on with the intention of falling back asleep. That was a foregone conclusion at this point. I put it on because I wanted to be entertained. I wanted to watch it. I wanted to follow along with the story. Uh, you know, it, it's just, that, that, that was the hope. However, here's what happened. About 10 minutes in, after the whole scene with Clark and his family, and they go and they see the tree, I'm out like a light. Sound asleep on the couch. About 90 minutes pass by, and I wake up to the whole Jelly of the Month Club scene, right? Where, like, where they're breaking through the windows and all the different things are going on. And now here's what happens. I wake up, and, and this is all going on on the TV, and I have this bittersweet moment. I'm excited because I got 90 minutes of sleep, but I'm really aggravated because I wanted to watch the movie. Like, I, I was so excited. Like, this doesn't count. I, don't, I can't do a half a check mark. I have, to, I have to do this again. So I did what any normal human being would do at 3 a.m. I hit start over. And, and so the movie starts again. Guess what happens? I fell asleep again in less time. All right, they didn't even get on the road. Like, they were, oh, it, was, it was unbelievable. I, I was frustrated. But here's what happens. The reason I'm sharing this with you is this. As I started to think about why I fell asleep, I don't think it was because I wasn't interested in the movie at all. 
Rather, I was extremely interested. I was waiting for this for 12 months to watch this film. I don't think it's because I found the story to be boring or that it wasn't entertaining, because it is. When I thought about it, I realized that I fell asleep out of mere familiarity of the film. I fell asleep because of the familiarity that I had with the story. I've seen it hundreds of times. Right? I could recite probably half the movie to you, right down to the blessing, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag. Anyone, right? Like, it's just, it's so familiar. We know it. We know what's going to happen next. And has anything, anyone ever experienced a moment like this where you kind of lose sight of something because of familiarity? Here's another example of this. Look at this picture behind me. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Greg was coming over our home for a visit with Katie and I. On his way there, he stopped and he snapped this picture. And there, I think there's another one as well. He snapped this one as well. And, and he pulls up into our house. He's Frank, he says, Frank, I, I just got to show you this picture. And I'm like, oh, awesome. And, and so he sits down with Katie and I uh, on our sofa and he shares these photos with us. And I'm like, Greg, this is absolutely beautiful. Where did you take these pictures? He said, like, around the corner. Right? Around the corner. This is literally a quarter of a block from my house. It's beautiful. But yet, for some reason, when I drive by, that's not what I see. Right? I, I drive right by it, but there's something about fresh eyes. There's something about being unfamiliar that captures your attention. Sometimes I, I catch a glimpse of this. But to be honest, more often than not, I drive by without noticing. And I think if we're truly honest with ourselves, the same thing happens when we think about Christmas. The familiarity of the Christmas story can cause us to lose sight of its beauty. It can cause us to lose sight of its power. It causes us to lose sight of its significance. And most importantly, it causes us to lose sight of its promise. If we're not careful, we can allow the simple beauty found in the Christmas story to become mere background noise that we fall asleep to. If we're not intentional, we might just miss Christmas. So tonight, what I want to do with you is I want to unwrap Christmas a little bit. Take a few minutes to look at the Christmas story and all of its familiarity, all the things that we know, what we just heard Dan share with his young girls. But what we're going to do is we're going to observe how just a couple of people were intentional about how they interacted with the birth of the Savior. And as a result, they didn't miss it. But yet for some, they just let it slip by. And they missed the promise of God being fulfilled in their midst. So if you want to follow along tonight, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2. Uh, if you, in your Bibles on your seats, that's page 851, I believe. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, consider this our gift to you this Christmas. It's our hope and prayer that God uh, reveals himself to you through his word. While you're turning there, though, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of key ideas that I found in the Christmas story over the last couple of weeks that I seem to think are essential in unwrapping Christmas. Essentials to not missing Christmas. Four things. We have to believe in the promises of God. We have to make room for Jesus. We need to reject familiarity. And number four, we need to be curious. 
So the first one, believe in the promises of God. Luke 2, verse 5. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Now you may be wondering, what does this verse have to do with believing in the promises of God? It has everything to do with believing in the promises of God. You see, because just a couple of verses earlier, in the beginning of Luke 2, we see that there's a census ordered by the Roman government. And that Joseph was required by law to go back to his hometown, the city of David, the town of Bethlehem, to register. And there's two things that stand out to me about this. Number one is this. Joseph was required. However, Mary was not. They're engaged at this point. There's no legal obligation for her to travel with Joseph there. The second thing that stands out to me is more importantly than the first, she's pregnant. She's not just a little pregnant, she's a lot pregnant. And here's the thing, going from Nazareth, Nazareth to Bethlehem is no leisurely stroll. We're talking about a 90 mile trek by foot with a pregnant lady who's not even your wife yet and she's carrying a child, oh, that was conceived not by you. That's hard. That is a difficult thing to think about. It would have been easier for Joseph to leave Mary behind, allow family and friends to care for her and to see the birth of this baby that wasn't his, but yet that's not what he chose to do. Why not? Why did he not just leave her behind, go do what he has to do in the town of Bethlehem, and then come back and, and see the baby boy later on? Now, while the text doesn't necessarily say this specifically, I think it's very reasonable for us to assume that Joseph simply didn't want to miss the birth of baby, uh, the baby Jesus. He endured a significant hardship to be present, a significant hardship to make sure that he was there, that he didn't miss it. And by hardship, what I mean is traveling 90 miles with a pregnant woman who was not his wife that was carrying a child that wasn't even his through the city of Jerusalem, which was covered in hills. The terrain was very difficult for them to get to Bethlehem. That's a hardship. That was not an easy thing for him to do. In the book of Matthew, we see that Joseph was actually ready to break off the engagement with Mary. But what happens? An angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph, tells him that the baby that he's carrying is of the Lord, and that that baby was going to save the people from their sins. See, Joseph didn't believe what Mary shared with him, but he did believe what God shared with him. He believed in the promise of God. He truly believed deep down that what was about to happen had extreme significance. And as a result of that belief, he wasn't going to let anything stand in the way of him missing the birth of this Savior. Not even a 90-mile journey with a pregnant fiance. You see, when we truly believe in the promises of God, it becomes difficult for us to miss Christmas. It becomes difficult for us to, to miss what God is doing right in our midst. So number one, believe in the promises of God. Number two, we need to make room for Jesus. Just two verses later, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger 
because there was no lodging available for them. Imagine for a moment, you're at home with your family, and there's a knock on the door. You put down what you're doing, you walk over, you open the door, and you see a man and a woman standing there. You see that the woman is with child, ready to, ready to give birth. They ask if you'd let them in and help them. So you turn back and, and you look at your family. You see that your house is already full. You, you're preparing for Christmas dinner. The house is a mess, whatever. What do you do? I don't want to speak for you, but I know that I would probably make room. I don't even know them. But isn't that the compassionate thing to do? Right? When you see someone in, in such a need, wouldn't you set aside all that's going on in that moment to care for someone? Let alone the fact that it's the Savior. But that's not, that's not what happens. Why there's no mention of an innkeeper in the text, there's a, there's a few things we know about this instance here. Bethlehem was a small town. Everyone knew everything about everyone. It's kind of like New England. Southeastern New England, right? Where everyone seems to know more about your life than you do, and they make sure they tell you on Facebook. Word travels fast. Faster, I would argue, than Mary and Joseph did to get to Bethlehem. It's probable to think that Joseph would have knocked on multiple doors, and that he probably would have known a few folks in town. After all, it's his hometown. If I went back to my hometown of Bristol and I started knocking on doors, chances are I would come across a person or two that I knew. But yet there was no lodging for them. Isn't that interesting? There, there's no one that has room for them. It, it, the text doesn't tell us that he knocked on multiple doors, but if I was traveling with a woman that, was in, that I was engaged to, that was going to give birth to a baby any moment, and I was looking for a place to, to find rest, I wouldn't just give up after one door. I'd continue on down the line until someone let me in. But here's the thing, no one let them in. It's a really interesting thought. There was no room for them. The prophecies... The prophecies in Micah spoke of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, yet for some reason, this community, they lost sight of that promise. They lost hope, and as such, they became more focused on what they could control rather than the uncertainty that came with inviting this family in need into their home. They were more focused on what they could control rather than the uncertainty, right? And so here's the thing. Their lives became filled with everything but the promises of God. And as a result, they missed out on what God was planning on doing in their midst. You see, far too often, we allow what doesn't belong in our heart to take root. And when that happens, we too, just like the town of Bethlehem, don't have room for what truly does belong in our hearts. We turn away the very real promises of God in exchange for what we know, for what's familiar. That leads us to our third point. We need to reject 
familiarity. For that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 for a moment. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, Jerusalem, at this point in history, is the epicenter of all things spirituality and religion. Not just in Israel, but of the world. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of God-fearing Jews. Religious teachers, Pharisees, rabbis, all these people, only five miles away from the town of Bethlehem, right where the Messiah was born, and no one even noticed what happened. I think it's because they were so caught up in doing that they stopped seeking. They were so caught up in doing church that they stopped being a church in pursuit of Jesus. They were so caught up in doing that they stopped pursuing So the Magi, they arrive on the scene because they were constantly on the lookout. They approached Herod and the priest inquiring about the birth of the Messiah and they continue on to Bethlehem without them to worship their newborn king. Notice how I say their newborn king. The reason I say that is this. They're more than likely not Jewish and still they sought after Jesus. Why? Because they knew that God sent Jesus into the world, not as a savior for some, but as a savior for all. And that's something that sometimes we need to remind ourselves of. Another thing I find significant about this is how the religious leaders stay put. They stay in the comfort of Jerusalem. Even after being told of the birth of the Messiah by which they are studying about, they're waiting for, right? It's been hundreds of years that they've been uh, just relishing in these prophecies of the Messiah who was to be born in Bethlehem. They're told that it's actually happening, that it's taken place, and yet they're too comfortable to get up and to go and seek after him. They were too busy, too familiar with what they already knew to respond to the glory of God in all of its fullness that was right in their midst. It was right in their backyard. It was like the picture I showed you. They were driving by it every day, but yet they didn't take notice because they were too comfortable. They were too familiar. They sacrificed witnessing the arrival of the Messiah, the King of the Jews, for the comfort of what they knew. Think about that for a moment. They've been waiting for this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But they let it slip by. The arrival of Jesus, that is good news. It's tremendous news. See, whether you're sitting here tonight and you believe in God or you don't or you're, not, you're hearing about this for the first time, here's the thing. Every time you look at a calendar, every time you write down a date, you are acknowledging the birth of this baby boy. I think sometimes we forget that, right? B.C. A.D., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, right? It means in the year of our Lord. Whether you believe in God or not, you write that down every single day. The year of our Lord. This happened. This was tremendous. This was significant. Yet at times we become so content in our familiarity that we miss when God shows up 
right in our backyard. Keys to not missing Christmas is we have to believe in the promise of God. We need to make room for Jesus. Reject familiarity. And lastly, we need to learn to be curious. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. The, the shepherds, they, they respond to the announcement of the Messiah with curiosity rather than fear. It would have been easier for them to continue on with their watch, to stand guard of the sheepfold, than it would have been for them to head into town, to head in and seek after the Messiah. But yet, what do they do? They leave their post to go and see what the fuss is all about. These guys, these shepherds, they are the least, they are the last, they are the lost. This is all they have. In many ways, being a shepherd, these sheep that they're surrounded with night after night are their safety blanket. It's their security. These guys didn't have a plan B. This was plan B and C and D. They had nowhere else to go. But yet, what did they do? They sought after what they heard. They were, they were curious. They were not paralyzed by fear. They responded in curiosity, and as a result, they experienced unthinkable, immeasurable joy. These shepherds, they left their 99 for the one. They left their 99 for the one. So tonight, I want to ask you, what's holding you back from being curious? What's holding you back from receiving Christ this Christmas? What's keeping you tied to the fields rather than seeking out what God has planned for you tonight? When I was a little boy, about the age of my son, I don't know exact, I, I was four or five maybe. I was, um, I think mischievous might be a strong word, but I sometimes found myself in, in precarious situations. One day there was something that I wanted in a cabinet on the wall in our kitchen. It may or may not have been cookies. <laughs> Explains a lot, doesn't it? I, uh, but I climbed up onto the counter. I climbed up the cabinet and I grabbed hold of those cookies. Then something happened. I came crashing down and as I came crashing down, so did the glass shelves and all the plates and the glasses. I'm sitting on the floor in our kitchen surrounded by broken glass everywhere. The story wouldn't mean much if I wasn't barefoot. But there I stand, terrified. Mess all around. No hope. Like, what do I do? I can't, I can't solve this problem. So I scream out. Scream out for my father. Now, as I tell this story, you'd think it's, it's like 10 minutes going on here. No, it was a matter of seconds, but my father was already running. This was not a quiet event by any stretch of the imagination. He comes running in, and I'm terrified of what he is going to say when he sees the mess that I made. 
but he didn't yell at me. He just ran after me. And he picked me up, and he grabs me in my arms, and he walks me over to the table. And I notice that he doesn't even have shoes on. He sits me down on the table. He gets down on his knee. He wipes the glass from the bottom of my feet and off my legs. He wipes the tears from my eyes. And he tells me, Frankie, it's going to be okay. It's not a big deal. He embraces me. And then he gets up. And he goes into the closet and he grabs a broom and he grabs a dustpan. And he walks over to the mess that I made. And he just starts sweeping it up. He doesn't go and get a pair of slippers. He doesn't put on shoes. He just cleans up the mess that I made. I look back at that story and I think, man, what a teachable moment for my father to to share with me the responsibility and the, the cons- they talk about consequences, but no, he didn't do that. What my father did, he didn't even believe in God at this point. He modeled the love of God in a way that I will never forget. He did that because he loved me. Because that's what a father does. For God so loved you. For God so loved you, he sent his son into the world to save you so that you could have a relationship with him, so that he could clean up the mess that you made, even though you don't deserve it. Love came down in the most unthinkable way. Right? We never would have drawn it up this way if it was us. A baby boy born in a manger in in poverty, we wouldn't have thought to do it like that. But yet that's what he did. He pronounces it to the most unlikely of people, to the least, the last, and the lost, the people that were surrounded by broken glass. That's who he shows up to. He shows up for us in our mess. See, love came down in the most unthinkable way, in the most unlikely of ways. But if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we may miss it because of its familiarity. We may take all of this for granted. We come in and we sing songs and we light candles and we go home and we kind of leave this here, right? Man, I want to just urge you, just for a moment, to, to not do that. Don't let that happen. Believe in the promises of God. They will be fulfilled. Make room. Get rid of whatever's there that doesn't belong there. Reject the familiarity of the Christmas story and the things around you. Expect that God is going to do something amazing in your life in this moment right now. Be curious. Seek after him. Seek after him. In a couple of moments, we're going to fade all the lights down in this room. We're going to start to sing some carols, familiar carols. But as we do that, I want to encourage you to focus on the words. 
Focus on the gift that we've been given this Christmas. John chapter 1 shares the birth of Jesus Christ not in how it took place, but really in why it took place and how uh, it, it was significant to the world. He says, in him was, a light, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The reality is there is no amount of darkness that can ever extinguish the light of Jesus Christ. There is no sin too great. There is no guilt too strong. There is no night that is too dark. There is no mess too great for the love of God to permeate in your life. So tonight, I want to invite you to not miss Christmas. So I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what you carried in with you this evening. Maybe it's a shopping list and you're right now thinking about where am I going to go? Everywhere is closed. I don't know what it is, but I'm inviting you right now to just let that all go and receive the hope that is Jesus Christ. That what he began 2,000 years ago will be completed in your life if you allow it. If you allow it.